The views expressed on this program are not necessarily the views of this station. Content is for educational purposes only. Consult a financial advisor or conduct your own due diligence of investing. Calls are pre-screened and the show was pre-recorded earlier this week. Rick is with Edelman Financial Engines, a part of Financial Engines Advisors, LLC, and the investment advisor that furnishes this program. Barron's ranks financial advisory firms based on assets managed, team size, experience, and regulatory record. Firms self-nominate. Investment returns and experience are not considered. Advisors in the Hall of Fame have been in the top 100 for 10 plus years. Future performance is not guaranteed. This is the Rick Edelman Show. Barron's ranks Edelman Financial Engines the number one independent investment advisor in the country. And Rick is in the Barron's Financial Advisor Hall of Fame. Now, here's Rick Edelman. Welcome to the Rick Edelman Show. It is hard to believe that it has been 20 years since 9-11. The nation has been focusing on this anniversary, and it is uh, as raw as it was two decades ago. We all remember, of course, where we were on that terrible morning. What I recall equally vividly is the 10th anniversary of 9-11, because it was a weekend uh, on the uh, anniversary 10 years ago, and I was scheduled to do my broadcast and, of course, was preempted as the radio station devoted its focus to the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And I was graciously invited by uh, the radio station's management to do my show, uh, but to do a special broadcast focusing on, on 9-11. And I did it uh, from ground zero. Uh, overlooking the memorials uh, and all the dignitaries and speeches and and comments from uh, survivors and uh, family members of of the victims. It was uh, one of the most profound moments of my life and clearly, without a doubt, the most profound moment of this 30-year radio show. Here we are 20 years later, and what is the news in New York now? Well, the news in New York this week is that 800,000 New Yorkers 10% of the city's population have just lost this week their federal unemployment benefits. All the money that has been provided in the wake of COVID-19 to provide a financial rescue for the tens of millions of Americans unemployed, that unemployment assistance expired this week. And the federal government has made it very clear, the Biden administration, that they have no intention of restoring or extending the unemployment assistance for the simple reason that there's frankly no reason for it. I fully agree with that. There are now ample jobs available as the economy is recovering, as we are moving back into what I think we'll all call a quasi-normal environment. Delta still hovers over us ominously, but there is no question that we are effectively moving forward And quite frankly, there's not a lot of reason, not a lot of justification for allowing people to continue to sit at home without a job, waiting for the government to send them weekly checks. The weekly unemployment assistance was $463 million that the city of New York was receiving. Since the pandemic began, New York City residents have received more than $54 billion in unemployment benefits. That is now gone. The message from the government is clear. If you need income, if you need money, go get a job. It's really that simple. 
And it would be very appreciated if while you did go get a job that you would also pay your taxes on the income that you earn. The Treasury Department released a report this week saying that the wealthiest 1% of Americans are failing to pay more than $160 billion a year in taxes. $7 trillion in a decade of unpaid taxes on their capital gains, their dividends, their interest, and their income. In other words, we really don't need to be talking about raising tax rates. All we need to do is collect the taxes on the rates we already have in place. And if we were able to do that, we would solve America's federal deficit and make a big inroad into attacking the federal debt itself. Meanwhile, other countries are dealing with their own economic challenges, and El Salvador has been hugely in the news on a worldwide basis this week because this week El Salvador became the first country in the world to officially adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. Bitcoin is now official currency in El Salvador. You can pay taxes with Bitcoin, and merchants across the country are required to accept Bitcoin in payment for goods and services. This is in addition to the U.S. dollar, which has been the national currency of El Salvador since 2001. And to help El Salvadorians get used to the idea of using a digital currency, the government is giving every resident in the country a digital wallet holding $30. So everybody gets a free $30 of Bitcoin in their digital wallet to help them get started. And these folks need the help in getting started because according to recent surveys, less than 5% of the population knows what Bitcoin is. Oh, by the way, would you like to go to El Salvador? Well, you can use Bitcoin to get there. 22% of American travelers, according to a recent survey, are using digital assets to pay for their travel. $10 million in bookings on Travala.com, 70% of its customers use digital assets to pay for their airfare and hotel. Air Baltic, Polish Airlines, Virgin Galactic, Beaver Creek Lodge, Elliott Park Hotel, just among the few that are offering the ability for you to pay for your travel with digital assets. And you're going to see continued widespread adoption, not just because you have actual governments now saying okay to Bitcoin, as well as merchants saying okay to Bitcoin, you're going to start to see a raft of advertising about it featuring some of the biggest celebrities in the business. Stephen Curry, twice named the most valuable player in the NBA, Golden State Warriors. He is now the global ambassador for the FTX Digital Asset Exchange. And Voyager Digital just signed football star Rob Gronkowski. Gronk, the four-time Super Bowl champion considered by many the greatest tight end in history, he is now Voyager's brand ambassador. And back in March, he became the first NFL player to launch his own series of non-fungible tokens. You don't even know what that is, but he went and did it, making millions of dollars along the way. So you're going to be seeing and hearing even more about Bitcoin and other digital assets in weeks and months and years to come. Meanwhile, a little more present is the aftermath of Hurricane Ida. 
thousands of cars and trucks were damaged or destroyed by the hurricane. When a vehicle gets underwater, all sorts of problems occur, starting with mold. Body parts, however, can also rust. Water can damage engines. The electronic circuits that control, you know, pretty much everything in the car, they can end up breaking either intermittently or completely. If your car suffered in the floods as a result of the hurricane, you've got to dry out the car as quickly as possible, especially if it's been in salt water. Do not try to start the car right away. That could lead to a catastrophic failure called hydrolock. If your car was underwater, don't start the engine. Tow the car to a repair shop that is trained in dealing with flooded engines. Take a lot of pictures to help you file your insurance claim. But this is another crisis in and of itself. You might not receive any money from your insurance company. You have to have comprehensive coverage in order to get reimbursed for the damage from the hurricane. That comprehensive coverage is optional, and it's about 500 bucks a year to get it. A lot of folks, therefore, skip it to save money. But it's comprehensive coverage that covers acts of God, such as floods. And if you don't have comprehensive coverage on your policy, you're on your own. If that car is now worthless, you're out of luck. And it's not just the owner of the vehicle who's got to worry about flood-damaged cars. If you're thinking of buying a new car, or frankly, a used one, you've got to be worried about it too. Because we know there's a short supply of new and used cars. Well, it wasn't just used cars that got flooded. New cars did too, sitting on the dealer lot. So a lot of people faced with this issue are just selling the car, saying the heck with it. I'm going to sell it for whatever I can get. Well, if you're buying a used car, you've got to watch out for something called title washing. Legally, any vehicle that's been damaged by a flood has to say so on the title. So you, the buyer, know what happened. Those cars, frankly, are supposed to be scrapped and not supposed to be resold. But some owners don't want to suffer the loss. So they try to dry out the vehicle and then sell it without telling the buyer that it was stuck in a flood. And then there are outright crooks. They buy flooded cars for pennies on the dollar. They clean them up. Then they take them to another state thousands of miles away. They illegally switch out the vehicle identification number, the VIN. They retitle the car with no indication that it had ever suffered flood damage. You might end up buying a car that had been damaged by flood. So before you buy a used car, get it inspected to help you assure yourself you're not buying a problem. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. Stay with us for more on the program, including the stock market and teenagers. That's next. Triple Eight, Plan Rick, rickedelman.com. doesn't come with instructions. More of your questions coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Rick Edelman Show. Very excited to tell you that the Virginia 500 has just been released. Virginia Business Magazine's annual rankings, uh, they recognize a person's power, influence, and importance within their field in the state of Virginia. And I'm very happy to announce that I have been ranked among the Virginia 500. The factors for the ranking include annual revenue, newsworthiness, community involvement, diversity, number of employees, and the organization's presence in the state of Virginia. So I'm very excited to be among those 500 luminaries. Let's talk about the stock market. Is your teenager engaged in stock investing? What is their overall viewpoint of the stock market? In a recent survey, half of all teenagers say the stock market is bad. Another 39%, on the other hand, think the stock market's a great way to get rich quick. I think we could all agree that both of those groups of teens are wrong. No, the stock market is not bad. It is a fundamental way in which wealth is created. I've never met anybody who got rich just from working at a job. The way you genuinely create wealth is to engage in the capital markets, to invest in our nation's future and the companies that are going to be developing the innovative products and delivering the services that we need. And it is their profitability that you can participate in by becoming a shareholder, a stock owner of those companies. The stock market is the key to capitalism, which is the best economic system on the planet. What are your other choices? Socialism? Communism? Fascism? Clearly, capitalism is the best economic system. Or if you want to put it another way, it's the worst except for all the others. So the teens who say the stock market is bad clearly don't understand our national system of capitalism, how the capital markets work, or the rates of return that the stock market is capable of providing over very long periods. Simultaneously, teens who believe that the stock market's a great way to get rich quick, they're equally wrong. The stock market, sure, has on occasion generated quick profits from folks who don't know what they're doing. It's the equivalent of winning the lottery. And in the last year, the stock market's huge gain after its dramatic decline when COVID began has shown a lot of folks how they could, sure, get rich quick. But that isn't how the stock market works in the long term. And brand new investors who have been investing in the market for the first time ever only since the last year, I've come to believe that 30, 40, 50 percent gains are normal. Well, we, of course, with greater experience, know the truth that the stock market on average earns about 10 percent per year, per year, mind you, not per month, per year which means those 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% gains that many have been witnessing and some experiencing, well, that party is going to come to an end eventually. The stock market is a place where you invest for the long term, not in an effort to get rich quick. And so we've got to make sure that our children understand the truth about the stock market. It's not bad, and it's also not a casino. So where are teens getting their information on stocks? The number one resource, according to this survey, 43% of teens answered this. They're getting their information about stocks from social media, TikTok, Instagram, chat rooms on Reddit, 
and other resources. Only one out of three are getting information from their parents, less than one out of three from websites, and only 29% are getting information about the stock market in school. I don't know what we're teaching our kids, but we're not teaching them about money. So, naturally, 94% of teenagers say they don't know much about the stock market, which I find fascinating because if you've got virtually every teenager admitting that they don't know much about the market, how can half of them say the market's bad? If you don't know much about it, shouldn't your next sentence be, I therefore have no opinion about it? Asked this question, what would you do if you were given money to invest? What would you buy? 43% say they'd put money into the stock market. Only 43%. I guess that makes sense. If 94% don't know much about the market and half think the market is bad, I guess it's understandable that only 43% would invest in the stock market. So what would the rest of these kids do? If only 43% are putting money into stocks, where else are they going? 25% say they would buy Bitcoin and other digital assets. More teenagers would rather buy Bitcoin than real estate. Only 24% said they would buy real estate. 37%, however, said they wouldn't invest at all. Makes me wonder then, if you're not going to invest the money anywhere, anyhow, what are you going to do with it? My assumption is that they're going to spend it. Well, why not? If I'm going to give you money, well, the money has no value because it was a gift. You didn't work for it. You can't appreciate its value by not having to sacrifice for it. No delayed gratification. So, sure, it's a windfall. Go ahead and blow the cash. Others, I imagine, by saying they're not going to invest it, are going to put it into the bank. Well, that's perfectly fine, except for the fact that the interest rate is zero point nothing. In fact, with the average bank account in America today paying less than two-tenths of 1%, and yet inflation this year is running 6%, you're losing 5.8% on every dollar you have in the bank. Would you buy a stock knowing you're guaranteed to lose 5.8% this year? You wouldn't buy a stock like that, so why would you buy a bank account like that? And I know what the answer is. People say, but Rick, I have my money in the bank because it's safe. Safe? Safe from what? Inflation? I don't think so. People who have money in a bank account, who have the money there out of a concern of safety, you're going broke safely. It's a guaranteed loser because of the impact of inflation. So clearly, what we need to be doing more than anything else is teaching our kids about money. They're not getting it in school, so we need to look for other ways to get them this knowledge and education. Fortunately, there's an increasing number of ways to do this. For example, there's a bunch of apps on smartphones that teach kids about saving and spending and investing. Copper, Step, Greenlight, The Foolproof Foundation, The Budget Challenge. These and other apps readily available on your phone that can teach kids about money, often in a fun, entertaining way. If you would like to get engaged as their parent, or perhaps if you're a school teacher, go to the Jumpstart Coalition for Personal Finance Literacy, jumpstart.org. This is a national clearinghouse, hundreds of organizations, government agencies, nonprofit groups, 
academic organizations, as well as major corporations, which often create wonderful educational material, have all contributed their content to the Jumpstart Coalition. Most of the content is free for you to download, and it's designed for kids K through 12. Whether you're a school teacher or a parent, you'll find a wealth of information available to help you teach your kids about money. Whether they're toddlers entering school for the first time, learning how to count, let them count with money, to high school seniors getting ready to head off to college or graduation. Check into it. You're listening to The Rick Edelman Show. I'd like to bring you the latest and greatest in the field of exponential technologies. United Airlines says they're going to fly a supersonic jet by the end of the decade. Mach 1.7, nearly twice the speed of sound. New York to London in just three and a half hours. San Francisco to Tokyo in six hours. The Navy, meanwhile, has developed an engine that allows for flight as fast as Mach 17. That's 13,000 miles per hour. New York to Tokyo in just 30 minutes. That will be a wild ride. Meanwhile, on more pedestrian levels, driving your automobile, a new company says it has produced a better battery. It charges 60 times faster than current batteries. They plan to bring this new battery to market in just 18 months. I'm Rick Edelman. You're listening to The Truth About Money. 888-PLAN-RICK-RICKEDELMAN.COM Author of the number one bestseller, Rescue Your Money, coming up on The Rick Edelman Show. Back to the Rick Edelman Show. You know, we talk about so many complex topics on the show every week. You can see the importance of getting the right professional help. If you're planning to hire a financial advisor, you need to ask the right questions when interviewing them. And to help you, we've produced a webinar giving you an encore opportunity to watch it. The 11 questions to ask before you hire a financial advisor. It's this Tuesday, September 14th. You have two choices, 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. Eastern. It's free. And you can register at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Let's go to the phones and head off to Crossville, Tennessee. David is with us on the phone. How are you doing, David? Doing great, uh, Rick. How about you? Doing wonderful. Thanks so much. How can I help you today? Well, I, I'm a recently retired federal employee. Uh, before I retired, you spoke with my wife about paying cash for our retirement home. You advocated not doing so, and we took your advice. Okay. We are currently withdrawing the mortgage amount from a taxable mutual fund on a monthly basis, mm -hmm. but we started wondering from, from a, a tax standpoint in the long run, would it make more sense to start withdrawing that amount from my, my TSP instead of the mutual fund? Um, since I'm retired, I can access my TSP at any time without any penalty. I'm, I'm currently 58, and aside from the house payment, my wife and I are pretty much living on my government pension quite comfortably. Okay. So the answer to your question is maybe. The TSP that David's referring to, by the way, is uh, the Thrift Savings Plan, which is the retirement program for federal employees. It's basically the same as a 401k for everybody else. 
and the question is, when should you begin to make withdrawals from your retirement account, whether it's a 401k, 403b, TSP, IRA, what have you, when should you start doing that? The IRS dictates when you must begin, but that isn't until age 72. Uh, So the question is, should you start sooner than that voluntarily, recognizing that as you make withdrawals, you pay taxes on those withdrawals? Doesn't matter what you use the money for, uh, whether you use it to pay mortgage payments or anything else, um, you're going to pay taxes on the withdrawal. Only exception is if you make withdrawals after 72 for charity purposes, but that's a separate conversation. Generally speaking, we tell people uh, that you shouldn't make withdrawals from your retirement accounts until you have to. For the simple reason, why withdraw now and pay taxes now when that's not required? You know, the, the further you delay the tax, the more wealth you'll create in the account, because if you leave the money untouched, it'll continue to grow. Uh, If you withdraw it, then that money won't be there to grow any further. Plus, you're paying taxes, and you could have avoided that by using other money that's available to you. For example, you could use the pension money that you're getting from the government, or you could use other savings, money that's in taxable accounts or bank accounts. Those monies can be used to pay the mortgage without incurring any tax liability the way you would incur from a withdrawal of the TSP. So generally, we would say, no, don't make a withdrawal from the retirement account. But here's the interesting wrinkle. And David, I think you're aware of this, and it's the basis for your phone call. If you wait to make withdrawals from your retirement accounts until you're 72, at that point, the IRS dictates the amount you must withdraw. And the amount you must withdraw might be so much that it pushes you into a higher tax bracket. Meaning, if you did make withdrawals in your 50s and 60s, even though you didn't have to, you control the amount that you withdrew, and you can withdraw only as much as allows you to stay in a low tax bracket. So that by making early withdrawals, meaning prior to mandatory, and doing so at a limited degree, you not only pay a lower tax on those withdrawals now, you help avoid the problem of having the account grow too high in your 70s where mandatory withdrawals would be very expensive tax-wise. So on that basis, David, my answer is maybe. Maybe you should, in fact, make withdrawals from your thrift account now, even though you're not required. What you need to do is meet with a tax advisor who can do the calculations for you. It's called a pro forma, where they do a tax return preparation. They don't file it with the IRS. They just do the math as if they were to see how much money can you withdraw from your thrift account so that you don't increase your tax rate and let your tax advisor be your guide. And you might discover that, yeah, taking some money from your thrift account might in the long run help you to reduce your overall taxes. You'll be paying a little more now, but you'll avoid paying a lot more later under that theory. Hmm. Well, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking and, and worried about. Um, I, I, I was looking at if I had to take an RMD today, um, it would pretty much, it would pretty effectively double the amount that, that I'm, I, I need to live on. And I, I did not want to shove myself into a bad spot farther down the road. So what you... Uh, uh, that, you know, really does uh, line up with, with what my suspicions were. 
Good. Well, I'm glad I was able to confirm that for you. You're thinking about it correctly. And now it's just a question of playing with the arithmetic to determine the actual dollar amounts that are involved. But the strategy does make a lot of sense. And odds are a, a good financial advisor can assist you with this as well. But ultimately, this is a tax question. We love to have tax advisors tackle these for our clients. So uh, there you go, David. Okay. Okay. Hey, thank you so much. You're very welcome. That was David in Crossville, Tennessee, here on The Rick Edelman Show. You can do what he did. Give me a call, 888-PLAN-RICK, or visit rickedelman.com. Let's head now across the country to Huntington Beach in Southern California. Jean is with us on the air. Hi, Jean. Hey, Rick. How are you? Doing so well. Thanks so much. What can I do for you? Yes. Hey, um, Rick, we went with your advice a while ago to have a long mortgage, and it occurred to me we were happily surprised to see that our Social Security start dates are uh, later than expected. And so it made, it made me wonder if the, what kind of correlation there is with our decision on the mortgage and the Social Security um, delay. Yeah, there, there is a relationship. Uh, you could argue that it's indirect or that it is part of a, a bigger conversation. All aspects of our personal finances impact all of the other aspects of our personal finances, because every time you do one thing, it has an impact on other aspects. This is why I caution against what I refer to as silo decision-making. It's a very common mistake uh, that people make. In fact, it's one of the behavioral biases that we uh, generally fall victim to. And it's understandable why we do this. It's because personal finance is complicated, uh, and it's really difficult to make highly complicated, complex decisions. It's much easier to make a series of individual decisions that are rather simplistic. Uh, and so that's what we tend to do. For example, uh, I want to get out of debt, so I will use my money to pay off my mortgage. But I also want to save for retirement. Well, wait a minute. If you're using money to pay off your mortgage debt, then that is money you can't send into your retirement savings. So making two individual decisions often adds up to one bad big decision. And so that's why what we do as financial advisors at Edelman Financial Engines, I think this is safe to say true for all talented financial planners throughout the country, we look at the client's circumstances on a comprehensive basis, holistically. We recognize that every time we pull a lever over here, it has an impact over there. Uh, and so, yeah, by getting a big mortgage, meaning you didn't make a big down payment, you didn't pay cash for the house, that by having a big mortgage, it freed up a lot of extra money that you could use to save and invest. And by refinancing your mortgage over the years to lower and lower interest rates, as interest rates have come down, lowering your mortgage payment, that freed up more cash that you could divert into your savings and investments. And the more money you accumulate in savings and investments, the more income you can produce from that. And the more income you can produce from it, the less you are dependent on Social Security, allowing you to delay the start of your Social Security benefits which is good because the longer you delay, the higher those benefits will eventually be once you do start. So it becomes a virtuous cycle rather than a vicious cycle. So yes, I think we could draw a line between your decision on how you're managing your mortgage to the benefit of delaying the start of your Social Security benefit. Excellent. Yeah, we were so focused on 401ks and mortgages that I kind of put aside the Social Security thing, and it was kind of a happy, uh, happy surprise to see that. 
you know, that we're getting ready to retire. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to put it aside. It's important that you're dealing with an advisor who helps you in that way. When you're dealing with someone who only helps with investments, they might be giving you very good investment advice. But if all they're doing is investment strategy, well, they might not be dealing with the tax aspects, you know, the the tax efficiency and, and tax managing the account, paying higher taxes when you're not focusing on anything other than the investments. Well, they may not have given you advice on how do you register the account? Is it in your name, joint tenants with a, with a spouse? Is it in the name of a trust? Is it established as a 529? If it's a retirement account, what kind? Is it an IRA or a Roth IRA? So when you're dealing with someone who only deals with one narrow segment of your personal finances, the one area they're helping may be really good, but they may be failing to help you in other areas, which kind of negates the work that they're doing for you. It's kind of like you run into this problem when you're dealing with physicians. If you ever go to a doctor, you'll discover that one of the first questions they ask you is, what other drugs are you taking? Because if the doctor only cares about the drug that she's prescribing to you, you could end up taking a drug that is a, got a really bad adverse implication because of other drugs you're taking. So talented physicians are very careful to know what did the other doctors recommend? What, what other pills are you taking? That will have an impact on the advice I give you. And as a financial planner, it's the same thing. I want to know what's going on in your whole life so that I know that the advice I'm giving you here on this conversation fits in nicely with the whole big picture. Well, excellent. Thank you so much. Gene, I appreciate your telephone call here on The Rick Edelman Show. Gene called from Huntington Beach. You can call in to 888-PLAN-RICK or visit online at rickedelman.com. Free articles on personal finance. Sign up for Rick's email update at rickedelman.com. Let's go to the phones here on the Rick Edelman Show. Talking with Michael. He's in California. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing very good, Rick. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for calling in. How can I help? One of my daughter's accounts, in the title, it says transfer on death, T-O-D. We've never seen that before. We don't know what it means. You didn't ask for that registration? No. Okay. So how old is your daughter? She's 32. I, I believe the account used to be I was in charge of it until she became 18, and her accounts and my accounts were always with the same firm, and one of the accounts has that title in it. Uh, we don't know when it started. Got it. So here's what it means. What is your daughter's name? Robin. Robin. So what it should say is Robin, T-O-D, Michael. So does it say anything after the T-O-D, or does it just say Robin, T-O-D? I believe it just says Robin, T-O-D. Okay. That, that just might be shorthand on the statement itself. What you want to do is ask your advisor to show you the actual registration that's on file with the brokerage firm. And here's what it all means. When you have an account uh, that is in your name only, uh, you're in sole control of it. Um, nobody else can access it. If you die, that asset will pass to your heirs as part of your estate. So your will will dictate 
who the heirs are, and it has to go through probate court. That takes a year or more. It's a big pain. It can be expensive to deal with, and it's just a nuisance. You can skip the probate process and bypass the will by simply creating a different registration called TOD, Transfer on Death. And when you set that up, instead of having an account in the name of Robin, you have an account in the name of Robin, TOD Michael, which means Robin is the sole owner of the account. But upon Robin's death, the account is transferred automatically to Michael. Okay. So what you want to do is find out who is the TOD piece of it. You know, Robin TOD is half a sentence. Okay, we're going to transfer the account upon Robin's death, but to who? The account registration should identify that. Your name or you and your wife or Robin's brother or sister or whoever, but it should stipulate who the account goes to upon her death. Okay. And if you don't want that, if Robin, forget you, it's Robin's account. If Robin doesn't want that, then she should just have the account registration changed to what she does want. It, can that just be done over the phone or does she have to fill out any? There's paperwork. Yes. We'll need signatures. Okay. Okay. But your advisor will handle all the paperwork. Your advisor will handle all of it so that it's uh, not not a hassle at all for, for Robin. All right. Well, I'll pass that information on to her. Thank you very much. Michael, I'm so glad you called. I wish you the very best. That was Michael in Placentia, California, here on The Rick Edelman Show. And time now for everyone's favorite segment, a visit by my wife, Jean Edelman, founder here at Edelman Financial Engines and an expert in macrobiotic cooking with a degree in nutrition and consumer economics. Jean. Hello. So good to be back. I hope you're doing well. You're going to laugh at me this week, but I wanted to talk about joy. I pretty much have watched so much on Netflix, but recently found a show by Marie Kondo. Maybe most of you know her. She's been around for a long time. She's got her brand of tidying up, and she recently started a business series that always interests me. I just find it so fascinating how, you know, just to have another set of eyes, look at what we do every day and how to make it more efficient and joyful. I just love the stories. I love the the human aspect of it. But it also fascinates me as humans how we get so stuck. And this one episode, this woman is just looking at this piece of clothing that just reminds her of something emotionally and she's just so attached and she's not able to let go. But Marie Kondo teaches just to say thank you to the item and let it then bring joy to somebody else. And so, you know, I'm just thinking about this and it it is a healthy goal in life to be a better person than we were yesterday. And so obviously it's baby steps. And so in order for me to be a little bit better tomorrow than I am today. Well, maybe I ate a little bit better, or maybe I found time to take a walk, or maybe I found time to connect with a friend, or I took the time to learn something new. And that is what a happy, healthy life is. It's about moving forward and not being stuck where we are or lamenting about the past. It is healthy and it's hard to do the personal work so that we can move beyond our hurt, our wounds, the sad and the mad. But it is healthier to take those baby steps to find that happiness, to find that beginner's mind where the world holds all possibilities and so many opportunities. 
our personal growth, our personal joy has multiple pieces. It's got the emotional piece. It's got the physical piece and it's got the spiritual piece. But if we can just take baby steps of constantly moving forward. And so this show kind of teaches us that. It teaches us how to look at our belongings and how to not be so connected to them and how to only keep what brings us joy and to release those so that someone else can find joy with them. And I love this show because I got the DNA of organizing and cleaning in my family. (laughs) My family always laughed at me because I was the one that was going through the refrigerator and cleaning it and organizing the junk drawer. So I really do think it's healthy to go through our cabinets, closets, and shelves periodically. And items that no longer bring us joy, we should let someone else have them so that they can bring them joy. So my word of the week is joy. J is for jewel. We are all diamonds in the rough, and we can need to continue to move forward with our personal growth and our personal work so that each day we can take off a little bit of layer of of dirt or grime or whatever it is that's that's laying underneath this beautiful this beautiful gem, this beautiful jewel is waiting to just be. And O is to organize. Yes, I was born to organize. I have that gene. And I do like to like look at something and be able to go immediately to what it is that I need to find. I feel like it doesn't waste time and we're a lot more efficient. So Rick can ask me for something and I can immediately put my finger on it. It just saves so much effort, so much energy. So organize. And why is for you being the best you, moving forward, finding the new, finding the joy, finding the different in every day and looking for those miracles because they are there. So thank you so much for letting me share because it brings me great joy. And I wish you a wonderful, happy, joyful, organized week. That's Gene Edelman here on The Truth About Money. A big thank you for joining us on the show today. And of course, there's lots more to The Rick Edelman Show this week. Our full podcast this week has more topics and stories, including advice and resources on the end-of-life planning, plus more of your calls. All that on this week's podcast. Remember, if you missed my webinar, The 11 Questions to Ask Before You Hire a Financial Advisor, you have a chance this coming Tuesday at both 3 p.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern. And remember, anytime you need any kind of help involving a dollar sign, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK or visit rickedelman.com. See you next week. Providing personal finance advice for over 25 years, this is The Rick Edelman Show. 